Before we go into the episode, if you've been listening to this podcast and you enjoy it and want to support it, please click like and subscribe. It would help me out tremendously. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Building Pickleball, where I interview pickleball company and brand founders to uncover their story as a founder, their idea, setbacks, failures, and their contribution to the fastest growing sport, pickleball. My guest in this episode was Aubrey Steele, founder of Chippy Light. She talks about building her team that consists of people coming from big brands like Hurley and Nike, how being an educator by trade has formed her leadership approach, how her morals and outlook on life aligns with the brand and the story they want to tell, and founding a company when the world felt unstable, quitting her job, finding herself after losing her father, and taking that leap. Now, here's the episode. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Shibuya? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and congrats on pronouncing it correctly. I feel like it's uh, it's been a couple of years now, you know, that we've that we've been live, and I'm I'm thrilled to to hear it right off the bat. Um, you know, like so many people, discovered the sport during the pandemic, and just had an inkling that that this sport was going to become really popular really quickly. I think um, as a player, you know that it's incredibly accessible, incredibly inclusive, and kind of saw the opportunity to create apparel that spoke to the to the emerging demographic and the the shifting demographic to a bit, you know, a little bit more modern, a little bit younger um, group of people was starting to play than was kind of traditional to the sport or had historically played the, played the sport per se. So uh, it took, took kind of a chance uh, beginning of 2021, end of 2020, and it's been really exciting, a really fun ride. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you founded a business prior to Chibile? Actually, yeah, I, I know it's it's funny. Um, my friend had a comment the other day. He he said to me, he's a recovering entrepreneur. And I, I laughed at it. I've heard serial entrepreneur before and other things. Um, I am not a, a serial entrepreneur per se, but I did, um, I founded a company Oh boy, 2009, 2010 with a girlfriend that I grew up with that I had known since junior high. It was a talent agency and it is still in business. She runs it day to day and does an amazing job with it. So I have had, you know, some of the experience of, of launching a company, but in a very, very different space. And so uh, it was, I, I would honestly say none of what I did back then really lent itself to this just because they're completely different worlds. But I, I do think obviously there, there ends up being some overlap just in, in formation and, and not just the fundamentals of forming a company, but I think more creating a brand and understanding all that comes with creating a brand, standing behind it and, and everything it takes to get it off the ground. So, yeah. I'm glad that there's not too much overlap because that makes this next question easy. Um, <laughs> what's been the biggest learning curve as far as founding a brand like should be like? You know, I would say being in the apparel space, I think that there's, um, there's so much to know. And um, I even have friends now that, you know, have, have created brands or are looking to get into the apparel space. And I think to the, to the lay person, you know, it's kind of this simple, well, I'll just get stuff made. Um, and, and to an extent there, that is a possibility. You can go out and buy fully made products, but where we wanted Chibile to get and we're, you know, on our way there is 
100% manufactured uh, by our own sew houses here in the States, local to San Diego, bringing jobs. And in order to, you know, actually manufacture apparel, it's a whole different ball game. And um, just the idea, the concept and that, you know, it's this simple idea, we'll just have somebody you know, make even like a t-shirt, like our performance tees that we manufacture. There are so many people involved um, from pattern makers to even our, you know, the people that sew the shirts, um, we have to send out the necklines and the collars because a different person has to you know, cut it differently than our sew house is able to. And all the little details, the tags, the zippers, like there's so many players involved in production like that. So I was lucky enough to have a couple people on my team from the beginning or almost the beginning who had experience and more than experience, they had relationships um, in that space. So that was amazing. And it, it allowed for me not to have to start from, you know, even below zero, like a negative space, um, which has been invaluable, I would say, just not having to start start from scratch and knowing kind of, hey, look at all these components that are going to be involved, because I think that drastically changes your, you know, the plan, the necessary funding, um, all those things. So it's, 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 the learning curve is very, very steep, um, just, just understanding all those elements. Yeah. And I've spoken to a lot of founders, you know, inside and outside of the pickleball space and something that is definitely like a recurring lesson is always like your network and also the team that you build, making sure there's like, it's cohesive, it's compatible. And speaking of your employees and team members that you hired and brought on board, I know that some of those employees are coming from big brands like Hurley, Nike, and other startups. How did you pick your team? You know, our, our team, like our, our corporate team of, of partners and stuff, we actually were very lucky in that these were relationships that were forged through friendship and sport. Um, a few of them, like our head of production, Sherry, she's an old and dear, dear friend. She's almost like a sister to me. I had all intentions of hiring people before I was going to hire positions. And I believe that, um, you know, some people like her, it's like, look, I, I trust you inherently. Um, you're a good human being and I can teach you anything or we can together learn anything. And that's way more important to me than necessarily somebody who, you know, checks all the boxes or has a really pretty resume. Um, I'm a firm believer in hiring people. So Sherry's a good example. Um, Kate and Casey both, you know, came with knowledge and experience I didn't have, but they weren't people I sought with the intention of a position in mind, but more met them, liked them, you know, became friends with them before the concept kind of trickled into conversations and was lucky enough then that they would, you know, decide to come on this adventure with me. So really, I, I feel very blessed, you know, hesitate to use that word, but um, I do feel very blessed in that these were, these are people that I fell into meeting at one point or another in my life and um, ended up being good human beings and then ended up being right for, to, to be a, a, along with me um, on this journey. So that I would, that's, you know, one of those things I think people ask me often, you know, what do you recommend? Some anything for new entrepreneurs. And I think it's critical in all, in all fields and all things that we really take a hard look at the people behind the position. Cause 
so many people are, are really smart in what they do and they can learn anything that you teach them, but you can't, you can't teach integrity. Um, you can't train for anything like that. And so I, that was a lesson I learned from my late father and it's, you know, it's paid off for me. I ended up with really pretty amazing crew. And then so many of them happened to just have experience and stuff that I could lean on and leverage as we started the company. So it was really great. Nature and nature versus nurture is always a very interesting topic. And you mentioned your late father. Um, sorry to hear that. My dad passed away when I was 25 in 2015. So um, I know that that has like a huge impact on many people's lives, not just grieving, but the inspiration, the motivation. What could you say about what your late father had taught you that has impacted where you are now? Yeah, and I'm sorry to hear that you lost your father so young. I think it's interesting. Um, I'm so grateful for lessons he taught me and, and things that have come out of his death. And yet, I think you'd agree there's in any given day, I'd take, I'd take him over all the knowledge in the world or a multi-billion dollar company in a heartbeat. Um, not that Shavila is a multi-billion dollar company, but, um, but you know, the idea. And I think he, I think he taught me a lot of what I just spoke about. He really came from nothing. Um, we lived, when I was an infant, we lived in a house up in Mountain View in Northern California. And my mom tells the story of the SWAT team breaking down our door because uh, the apartment attached to us was um, a whorehouse at the time. And it sounds like a movie, but, um, my father really, really built a company and my mom, she, she worked, you know, in the office and all that. Um, and they built a company from nothing with, you know, barely a high school education for my father. And he just saw a need, he saw an opportunity. And he always said, you hire people and you hire people to do the things you, that they can do better than you. So that humility to say, you know, I, I know that I can, I can take it this far, but I think that, or I can't take it that far. I don't have that knowledge and really honor people, honor, honor them, um, to do what it is that they do and not assume that you can do it on your own or you can do it better. Um, so I would just say building it up, having that kind of inherent hustle, but also then recognizing that everybody has value. And when you find people that, you know, that you, you hire to do something, let, let them do it, let them run with it. And, uh, so I, I tend to think I kind of manage that way we're all adults. You know, if you say you can do something, I'm, I'm planning on you doing it and relying on it. And I'm really grateful for and humbled by uh, the women around me who have been able to do that. It's been pretty awesome to see. You spoke briefly about your management style and letting people do their own thing. I agree for all adults. Um, it's also very interesting to hear that your dad's input was like hiring people and hiring the people who do things better than you. So that means you have to kind of be vulnerable and you have to be able to admit where your gaps are. What other management techniques kind of come to mind that you may have learned before Chavile or maybe that you're learning now that you think is very impactful and important? Yeah. So, you know, one thing that comes to mind, um, I was an educator by trade prior to Chivile. I had, had worked in a couple of other industries as well, but mainly in education for a number of years. And one thing that I understood um, as a language teacher specifically was sometimes even as much time as I put into a lesson plan and as much thought as I'm putting into what it is, the message that I'm trying to get across, um, you realize that 
oftentimes you, somebody needs a different style or different voice or different approach for input for them to actually absorb the information. And so I think it's really critical to remind ourselves that sometimes, you know, with the best intentions in mind, if you're trying to get a message across that to understand that people process information in very different ways. And it's really helpful. What I used to do in my classroom was to have, you know, the students then act as teachers. And so often I would find that a student's approach or their perspective or something really translated to the other students. And so I think in terms of my management style, I think that it's critical to sometimes understand that even if it makes all the sense in the world in your own brain, sometimes you just need somebody else to kind of swallow it, chew it up, regurgitate it and give it, you know, put it out in a different manner. And it's critical to, to understand and, and honor that because the most important thing, as we know, with communication is kind of the receiving end is what, what somebody thinks that they hear. And so to be able to say, you know, maybe this isn't coming across right, or just to, just to sometimes have somebody else kind of put out information that potentially I need put out there because it just, sometimes it's nice from a different voice, or sometimes it makes more sense from a different perspective or something like that. So I would say that came a lot from my history in education and just knowing that we don't all always speak the same language, both, you know, literally and metaphorically. Um, and it's really, it, it's a good reminder to say, Hey, you know, I think I'm saying this right, but let's see if somebody else can say it a better way and to let that happen. It, it, you'd be surprised at how different the receiving end is of that. And even to yourself, sometimes you can hear something that you're trying to put out there in a different way and it you know, changes it for you or it, it brings something to your attention that potentially you had missed before. Yeah, absolutely. I've been in positions where I've had coaches tell me one thing every single practice and then... <laughs> just doesn't sink in. And then I've had like someone, like you said, like a teammate, someone who's kind of like on my level, explain it to me. And then it just clicks. And my coach is like, dude, I've been telling you this for like five years. <laughs> like, I want to tell you. Yeah. I can, I can liken it also to parenting. Cause we have a handful of teenagers at home and I, you know, there's a lot of times where one of them will come home and say, Oh, so-and-so told me to do this. And my husband and I will look at each other like, yeah, we've been saying that for like the last year, but you know, it's fine. <laughs> so Coaching is another great example. I think I think it's really, really critical for coaches as well to, to work that way. Absolutely. And this is another just smooth transition into the next point uh, or question, and that's about parenting and mm -hmm. that work-life balance. You know, how do you manage that? Uh, obviously, Chavile is very busy. You can see on the social media, you can see on the apparel, there's like you said, it's very modern. It's hitting a demographic that's not really being touched upon. So there's obviously a lot of work going into that. And I've tried calling you like even earlier today, you seem very busy. How do you balance this uh, between Chavile and your family and everything else going on? Um, you know, I, I think it's, you're either kind of made for it or, you know, somebody asked me and you, you spoke about nurture and nature earlier that like, you know, are entrepreneurs made or are they born? And, you know, as, as I'm thinking through the question you just asked, I feel like entrepreneurs are born. Um, there, there are people that, and, and male, female, everything, uh, there, are, there are people that this, this works for and you can do a podcast on the road or you can't based on technology. Um, uh, and then, you know, 
do a million other things and, and kind of keep all these balls in the air and, and get home. And like you said, that this, this will end at three and I'm going to head out to pick up a kid from school. And, you know, I don't even really think about it as a balance. I tend to think about it as that this is life. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a very involved husband as well, but both for both of us, I mean, he manages, you know, his own company as well. And in the real estate world and, it, it is, there isn't work and there isn't life, there isn't, you know, work life. Um, there's just life and we work as part of it. And um, I, I don't think we even separate the two right now. Um, and especially technology is incredible. I think we've come so far from, you know, being in an, in an antiquated office in a cubicle somewhere to make things like this happen. And I am grateful for the fact that technology has allowed this kind of seamless transition. I know that there are boundaries that are, that are needed to be created. And I think that some people get a loss in the overlap and this and that, but my kids, all the kids are old enough to really understand. Like if I'm, you know, taking cooking dinner with one of them and I take a call, like they step in and, you know, help finish grilling or whatever it is. And so, um, I would say the only thing I think about is that we have pretty hard stops late at night, unless something's coming up. And I say late as 7 p.m., which is not late, but um, in our world it is. Our phones go on to silent. Um, we enjoy, like last night, we had our all the kids and some nieces and parents over, and we were playing Pictionary. And we do a pretty good job of of not always allowing those phone calls to to intervene. Um, that focused attention, the you know, looking them in the eyes and engaging and stuff like that. I think we are really interactive with our kids. And while a lot of the interaction also does overlap with work, we also, like I said, we have hard stops. Um, and so I think that they appreciate, they acknowledge that time. And, and like I said, there is no work, there is no life, it's just life and we work through it. So feel very fortunate to have that lifestyle. I think, you know, there's millions of people across the nation and especially across the world who, you know, leave their kids in the morning or, you know, putting them, putting kids on, on buses or, or public transportation to send them off and away. And so I think, um, I think that would be a much more difficult question for someone like that, that had a very different setup than we do. So feel pretty lucky. And we just kind of make it happen when we need to, or as we need to. Yeah. Yeah. Those boundaries are definitely important. Um, yeah. And you'd mentioned your husband has his own company in real estate his is there maybe it is your husband maybe it's someone else is there a partner for your business that you someone like you really lean on um, as far as being an entrepreneur um he's he's definitely someone that I lean on kind of for everything um there's like he's incredibly creative uh has a lot of that experience but more for the business side, I would say they're not people necessarily involved in the business, but they're friends, um, friends of my own, a couple of friends that were dear friends of my father's that have just really kind of had this open door policy with me. And I feel so fortunate because there are times when, it, you know, not simple things, but more um, rhetorical questions or just things that you're kind of mulling over versus that, you know, where do I buy zippers type questions. And these people have really just said anytime, anything you need, and they've got experience that I, that I don't have even two years into Chivile, you know, they've got knowledge and know-how and stuff that, or, or just, you know, 
mature insight that really, really comes at the right time. And I think that's so, so important. I think as much as building a corporate team, building a board of directors, anything like that, you also want to build like your, your cloud almost of people. And there are those that you really look up to, you admire for, and it, and it can be personal reasons. It can be, you know, businesses that they've made anything like that, but build your personal cloud, you know, of little angels and just utilize it. Cause I think one, one thing in the beginning was I had all these great resources that I would consider, you know, my little cloud. And I felt like I didn't have time to stop and ask. And I think it's really important as a founder, especially to stop and say, I'm going to set aside some time to think about the bigger picture. And I'm going to set aside some time to think about, you know, some questions that I have and actually reach out because even when you pick up the phone or, or go in person and, and talk to those people, you always leave with a little bit of valuable, sometimes a lot of valuable information. And maybe it's not even what you set out to ask or understand at that time, but to, to recognize that there are those people out there willing to help and to just kind of expand your knowledge a little bit each time is really important. So I would say, I think it's incredibly um, critical for entrepreneurs and founders to, to actually set aside time to do it, even when you don't feel like you have a question, don't wait to have a question necessarily, because you'll find that you, you don't, you never then have the time. Um, but I think building that team of people and then setting aside little, little moments to reach out, honor their knowledge, ask them some questions or just touch base with them. They want to know how you're doing too. Um, you know, these are, these are people generally that are, are friends or dear friends or friends of family and they want to hear it too. And maybe it's not a question. Maybe I'm just giving an update. Um, and they have little tidbits that they throw in there or responses to things that, like I said, weren't even poised as questions. And all of a sudden you, you know, you've got like a new idea or, or a concept that really ends up being really valuable. Yeah, that's very interesting point. We've come back to this idea of building your network. I think nowadays, I don't know what exactly the reason might be, but maybe it's technology. There's division within society. Sometimes it's just our ourselves blocking ourselves. Maybe it's our ego, it's vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Like Steve Jobs, there's a famous quote a story about how he talked about sometimes all you need to do, like the biggest mistake people don't do is just picking up the phone. Yeah. And you mentioned a few things in there that's just different, which is not just always asking questions, but also touching base with people. How did you, maybe you've already kind of explained it, but is there a piece of this story that I'm missing of how you built this network? Um, again, I think some of this is, is serendipitous or, or fortunate happenstance that we are, you know, I started to in the community in which I grew up. So we have really deep roots and not everybody has that luxury, but I think wherever you are, wherever you are trying to grow roots, show up, show up for other people, show up for other things. Um, and then what I did was again, you know, I had friends that I knew had created things and they're not, it's, it's interesting. It's not, especially with pickleball being, you know, so new to the masses, it wasn't like these are friends that had created pickleball companies and a few of them, yes, they were, you know, they had experience in the apparel space, but it's not always that it's just somebody you respect and admire for any reason, because kind of like we talked about earlier, when 
you know, people bring new perspectives as they, as they tell a lesson or tell a story in a different manner than you did. It, you don't need to have necessarily a reason, um, but you can, these are just people that you admire and under, it's good to understand why you admire them, because I think that will help cater the conversations to things that um, you had recognized in the past and those things that you feel are valuable. And that way you get a little bit more of you know that to rub off on you. But for me, it was friends. Um, some of them were people I kind of had to ask almost to be a mentor, ask, um, like, for example, my my girlfriend who I had started the other company with, who I had no, I've known for six million years now. Um, one of my mentors in Chivile is her husband. And so I know him very well, but you know, he was, he was like one step away from somebody that I had known really long. And so I kind of had to open up and say, you know, I'd really like to ask you some questions. I'd love it if you'd sit down with me in the beginning. And then it became kind of this long-term thing where I can always pick up the phone and it's just been really welcoming. And I think the one thing I've found is people who are in in a position where they've, you know, created something or done something, not necessarily as an entrepreneur or founder, but anything that they've been a part of, people are so happy and proud to share knowledge, to talk about it. Um, and it, it, it's, it's so great to be the, on the receiving end, but a lot of times it ends up being, a you know, a fair share, like where everybody's kind of putting in a little bit of input and insight and it, it, everybody walks away a little bit better. I think anytime we connect as humans, we walk away a little bit better when we understand, you know, something that the other person is bringing to the table. I think that's lacking in society as a whole right now to just sit down and have a conversation with somebody, but especially in the business world and in terms of networking, such a valuable moment in time. And so um, I, I kind of formally asked some of them, you know, if I could lean on them a little bit. Um, some of the friends of my father's who did have incredible experience in the space offered their help um, upon his passing. And that was, you know, what an honor for that to happen. And I think they did it just as an, as an ode to him. Um, and so however it happens, but you speak, you know, you've, you've said the word vulnerability a couple of times, and I think that's really, really valuable for an entrepreneur newsflash, if anybody out there is thinking about, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, there are few things more humbling in this world. Um, and I think that it's really, really critical. I think a lot of entrepreneurs and very successful ones that, that tend not to show vulnerability, but I find a lot of, a lot of, um, great things come out of vulnerability and, and showing our soft sides. And what you find with that is that there's somebody there that's willing to kind of help you build those things up and that what a remarkable feeling and you get kind of all, all types of information and help and stuff like that. When you're just willing to say, Hey, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. I don't know how to go about this. And people want to share their knowledge. It makes, it makes us all feel important and valuable when we're, when we're asked those things. So I would just say, you know, look at people you admire in any space or for any capacity and, you know, make a list of them and then sit down, you know, honor them by saying, I'm ready to do this. And I would love if you'd be willing to be a mentor for me. And I think you'd find most people will find that, you know, people that really, really is an amazing thing. And again, people want to share, they want to share their knowledge. They want to feel valuable to others. And just the fact that you thought to ask them is, is big. Yeah. Thanks for that. I, during that, I was thinking about how I 
watched your other interviews. Like there's one with the news crew and talking about how Chivile got started. And it's, um, it's nice isn't the best word. This is just what I can think of right now, but it is nice to see that what you've kind of found it should be lay on isn't like you like came up with this idea for an apparel brand and you're just going to come out with this mission statement it seems like this was something that has already been very heavily involved in your life like maybe like the words that kind of came to mind was like your morals integrity this idea of community um very strong awareness of what's going on in society and not hiding behind it and not afraid to speak about it um yeah yeah i don't know where i was really going with that i just i, I guess i want to call out that's nice to see that the mission statement isn't too far from who you are as a person and um well and it's what pickleball did i think it's what i saw was not just you know a broadening demographic and a shift in the age groups that are involved but um, somebody wrote a, a great article. Uh, it's a brief article, but it was good recently called it, um, what they say, pickleball being the third place. And it was really interesting. And the truth is pickleball is what brought us together in a time where there's not, and it, and it's funny. I know people always bring up, oh, now tennis players and pickleball players are fighting over space. And I think, you know, things like that and the, and the leagues, you know, that, that were multi multiple leagues now that are kind of joining all of that's going to happen in in a sport that's experiencing such incredible and exponential growth. I think those are normal growing pains. But when you look back at 2020, um, and as we kind of lift our heads out of the pandemic, uh, pickleball really truly was where people were gathering again when people had not gotten together. It was like I was saying about with our, our time with our kids, it was the time to engage. It was the time to look people in the eyes and create new friends and all of that. So it definitely was like, wow, something's happening with the sport. I, I anticipate that there's going to be massive growth with this sport, but at the same time, it was coming out of such a dark place and dark time. And all of a sudden we had this venue per se, we had this platform where we could show up and see each other again and engage. And it was considered, you know, safe. It was at a safe distance and all of those things. And it, it really, was kind of this remarkable, I, th I think the pandemic was a major catalyst for the sport. I, I do think it would have experienced growth, but I think the pandemic kind of shot it up hugely because of that safe distance outdoors, you know, stuff that allowed people to come back and then, it be, you know, it's very addictive. So obviously it happened, but we truly saw it as the unifying sport of 2020 when we were ready to you know, we were all hungry for some humanity in our lives. And so it offered us that. So multi, it's definitely like multifaceted, you know, in the origin, um, Chivile is, and it is true to that story. It's, it's still where people gather and where people celebrate together and where people, you know, we, we live very close to Bobby Riggs and I, we were there about a week ago in the morning and there was, you know, all these, all these players and balloons and they were celebrating. And I just, I think it's awesome. It has become a new way of celebrating birthdays and holidays. And I think it's absolutely wonderful um, to get up and have people moving who maybe might not be doing anything, you know, a little more stagnant during the day otherwise. So it's been, it's been pretty amazing to watch how, how it's kind of permeated into so many elements of our lives, aspects of our lives. Yeah. I, I'm sure 
many people have said this before and I've heard it in conversations, but it's interesting to how multi-generational this sport is and just like different races, different uh, genders, different views, everyone's getting together. I can't really think of many other sports where people are connecting with people like double their age or other people half their age and having like a really fun time. Um, but you've talked and mentioned about how fast the sport has grown. What do you think when you were founding Chivile, what do you think separated your idea from competitors? And if you even saw any competitors? Yeah, it's interesting. When we really kind of went live in February of 2021, um, there there wasn't a lot in the space. There, there weren't a lot of apparel brands. There were a few more mom and pop, you know, shop type things. And which I think is fascinating about pickleball, by the way, because even with so many big brands in the space now, um, true pickleball brands like ourselves, and then other brands that are just dipping their toes in and, and exploring it and kind of marketing in the space, there still exists so many, what I'm going to call mom and pop for lack of a better term, but these, companies or just websites that allow people to create, you know, t-shirts for their, all their group of friends and their players. And I love that about the sport. I think that speaks to the fact that this is a community thing. This is a truly communal event per se. And people always want to, you know, Oh, I'm going to get this for, for my best girlfriend who plays with me, or I'm going to get this for my six girlfriends that all play. And there's something about the sport that everybody wants to, you know, be geared up together. And I think that's really cool. But with that said, there were a lot of those type um, or there were a handful of those type back then. And there were some, I remember, I think Pickleball Bella um, was one that I remember back then. There were, there were only a handful and it was great. I think, you know, in terms of timing with, you know, in terms of foresight with the, the sport, I feel that we were one of the earliest people in it to be a true pickleball brand and really definitely a lifestyle pickleball brand, which kind of just spoke to the fact that there are, yes, there are, you know, competitors and professionals and leagues and all of that, but there's, you know, 36 million people that played last year at some point, one or another. And so many, you know, so many of those people are, are lifestyle people. They enjoy the sport. They want a t-shirt that recognizes them potentially as part of this tribe that we're all so excited to be a part of. Um, but aren't necessarily, you know, super high performance or sponsored type people. They're not playing in tournaments or anything like that. So definitely we were one of the early adopters, but there wasn't a ton back then. We we are seeing now, obviously, you know, brands like Nike, um, big, big players like that. And even obviously some of the golf brands that are kind of dipping their toes over to pickleball. And that's expected. Um, but when we started most of the little brands that we saw were more of the neon and heavy print pattern, you know, stuff. And I, again, I think that's great. We still, we run into so many, so many customers along our, along the way that, you know, want something like that. And that's awesome. And I, there are great brands out there for it. We just wanted to offer a different aesthetic, kind of a more muted, more modern um, aesthetic, but also kind of leans into that lifestyle and that Southern California lifestyle, that surf skate almost aesthetic that we come from. So um, we, you know, it's interesting. We, there are a lot of people in it now still, but we do tend to kind of be one of the few that are, that are true lifestyle pickleball. And it's 
but true to pickleball. It's been it's been interesting to watch, you know, people open up and some big brands that just kind of dabble in it. We'll see them advertise in in pickleball or they'll, you know, they'll create three designs of shirts just to kind of feel out the market. And I think as the data comes in from the last year, the numbers that the way the way that they are, I think we'll we'll just continue to see it expand. Especially with platforms like MLP. Um you know, they're obviously the people that they're getting involved. They take pickleball to a whole new level in terms of eyes, eyes on the sport. And so I don't think it's going to slow at all for some time. So we're just kind of holding on to our boots and hoping we can keep up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, MLP is interesting. I was watching Dex uh, Chivile. I don't know if he's a conservative sponsored athlete, but Tyson McGuffin. Um, but yeah, his dink or die t-shirt that he was rocking. Yeah, that was cool. awesome. <laughs> it's a, uh, for me, I've always loved the California brand. So, or the California like lifestyle and the way the apparel always came off. So it's definitely refreshing in my eyes. Thank um, you. And yeah, Tyson, just for clarity, Tyson is, you know, he has an amazing deal with Skechers and I know that that's been really good for him. Um, on court, he's all sketchers. And um, so he's not really a sponsored to be the athlete. I would, you know, we're lucky enough at this point to call him and Meg dear friends. And I think that's, that's awesome. Um, and one of the things that we see and that we I'm really honored to say is so many of the pros will reach out and say, Hey, you know, I really dig this shirt. Can I get one? And, uh, or something. And, what we find is that, you know, they're going to be paid a lot of money to wear stuff on the court, but when it comes to what they're wearing off the court or, you know, day to day during other play, they, they actually, you know, they like our designs. They love the way it feels. That shirt that he was just in is one of our performance tees, which is incredibly, incredibly soft. Um, but, but it has all the, the properties of, of a performance tee. And I, I'm really, like I said, I'm humbled to say that a a handful of pros wear it because that's what they want to be wearing. And wow, how, you know, how lucky are we? So I train snag, somebody sent me that picture of him and train snag cap, um, snapshots of it when I can, but pretty cool. And they're definitely one of the most exciting uh, faces in the sport for sure. Yeah. And I think you addressed, I think you and your team addressed something that people have wanted which is a performance tee that's not just blank with a logo. It's a performance tee that has uh, like a personality to it. And it definitely, another another word that's not great, it just looks cool. It just looks, yeah, it's Thanks. actually definitely catches your eye. Uh, whoever designed that, big props to them. Thank you. Well, and you know, the other thing, I think that um, companies like Viore, uh, another San Diego company, they really changed the game in terms of what, what, we wear and how it feels to us. And I've never been a big fan of, I always call it slimy for lack of a better word, but that really high, like shiny, high performance wear, like tees that you, your, you know, stuff that you get. It's never been my go-to. I really like a soft hand. And as we look to develop things, that's really critical for us. I want it to feel good. I want it to be something that you might, you, you might sleep in, you know, I want it that comfort level. Um, and then on top of that, we do look for fabrics that are more um, environmentally, you know, friendly per se. So the performance tees are made with Tencel, which tends to 
Um, it's made from biofibers, so they they revert back to nature essentially. Um, and, and so all those little things, you know, we really didn't, I think there's a lot of companies right now that are like, oh, pickleball's hot. I can throw some cool designs and, you know, they buy cheap stuff from overseas and it, you know, print them and that's great. But we wanted to start the way that we want to finish. And that is to make a really high quality, really soft, but with great performing pop properties. And, um, and like I said, those shirts, um, I, I wear them all the time and we actually have a, a handful of new designs come out next month in them. And really proud, really proud of those. I'm really proud that the world and the pickleball community has been as receptive to them as we were feeling when we were making them. So it's been exciting. Awesome. Yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing the designs and material and the brand grow. And you mentioned how this, there was a lot of like, I want it to feel good. I want it environment friendly. I think when I'm choosing a brand, that's what I would want the creator to base the product off of, not necessarily like this might be what other people might like, or let's do this based on the how that affects numbers. Right. Is that like, does that just come from your you and your team and how you like, approach business? Yeah, I think there are, you know, there are people that would, you know, could have been in my position and, you know, margins would be better if we made them overseas and margins would be better if we used, you know, this fabric and we don't all like it as much, but it's close enough. And again, you know, one of the gals on the team always said, you know, begin the way you intend to finish. And so things like, you know, trying really hard to choose environmentally friendly products from, you know, bags and, and things like that to the fabrics themselves, uh, manufacturing locally to try and create jobs. Um, all of those elements were things that are absolutely at the core of who I am and what I would want, you know, to run a business by. And so there's always a lot of input, you know, if you change this or change that or do this just in the beginning. And then once we get up to speed, we can, you know, then we can bring uh, manufacturing close to home. And I think I'd rather just start from the beginning and then figure it out. I'm proud of what Chibile is. I'm very proud of what we stand for. And um, things like those elements, things like just, you know, impeccable customer service, um, I want to start that way. I want it to always be that way. And what I've found, and one of the things I'm most proud of in terms of our metrics, I would say is, um, is our, you know, people that come back, we find, you know, people that are Chivilians or part of the Chivile family, they tend to stay there. And it's been really, really cool to see, um, customers come into our ecosystem and stay there and we get, you know, letters and gifts from, from customers and everybody feels like they know us and they're part of the family. And that kind of speaks to our, our business approach and people recognize that we're doing this, be, you know, in the right way, the way that we really believe things should be done. And it's really amazing to see that that does resonate with people. And it's not everybody. We've definitely been at events and tournaments where, you know, it, Somebody will ask me about pricing and stuff like that. And I try and explain kind of what goes into our pricing and, and the reasons behind it. And it's not necessarily for them and, you know, they pass on it. Um, but for our customer base that we've created thus far, I think it really means a lot. And like I said, it resonates to the point where they, 
they get into, you know, they become part of the family and they tend to stay there and then they buy, you know, everything we make. And that's really, really cool to see. So makes you feel proud of it at the end. And if some massive company comes along and buys us, then, you know, that's all bets are off. I don't know what happens, but I am proud to say that still, as it's under our, under our care, we will always continue to, to function in this manner. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to see a brand that holds themselves high to a different standard. And it's funny that you mentioned Viore. Uh, some of my friends and I here, over here in Austin, Texas, big into Viore mm-hmm. and fully agree with the way that material feels. It's completely different to what brands have been doing for a very long time. And for the most part, it's nothing like outlandish as far as the price. It looks good. It that I can now under I can now see that it has that San Diego vibe because you said it, it's based out of there. So mm-hmm. it's definitely really cool to see that um, brand loyalty is something that you all are obviously working on, whether or not it's conscious or not or intentional. Uh, it's just happening. I've seen Chavile over here even when I go out and play. Um, when... Yeah, that's amazing. We love hearing that because we we still think you know we're we're so tiny, um, but it's amazing to hear people spotting it across the nation. Yeah. Um. Obviously, I think when we look at a product, we always see the finished product. We don't get to see what leads up to it. So before you know, before February twenty twenty one, what do you would you say was your biggest hesitation? going into founding a business? <laughs> um, just, you know, fear of the unknown. Um, the world was really unstable at that time. I don't know that I'd love to say it feels more stable now, but I, you know, there's so much unrest in so many ways, you know. Um, but I think just that that leap that um i had i had quit my job to kind of take some time to myself after losing my father and very quickly thereafter decided to do this and um just the idea of or or the confidence to say i can do this um i i I tend to be kind of a who am i to think i'm you know if i can do something like this and having founded a, an earlier company, like I said, I don't, I don't know. There was a ton there. My girlfriend who founded it with me, she's, she's got tons of confidence and all the intelligence in the world. So I leaned on her a little bit, but this was really me and me alone in the beginning. And I think just that, like I said, the confidence that, you know, at a, as a middle-aged woman to say, I have this great idea, but to actually decide that I could potentially be the one to execute it was, uh, was big. And I, you know, to be honest, we're two years in now, I don't know if I, wholeheartedly believe it yet. Um, but it's definitely not for the, for the faint of heart. Um, I think in addition to that, just the, the naysayers, the ability to kind of filter through commentary, decide what, what that's coming in, what, you know, what of the input is constructive criticism and how to, you know, what to do about it, how to, pivot or shift according to, you know, some of the input coming in and, and what of it is just, you know, people that are, that are worried about me jump taking leap like this, or what if it's just, you know, people that 
don't understand it or, or don't want to see, see you succeed. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that holds you back is just the ability to say, this is a great idea and I can do it. That's a huge thing. I think for every entrepreneur, because I think everybody I know has had moments where you're like, oh, you know, it would be so, so cool. Or, you know, it'd be such a great idea. But that moment where you actually say, I'm going to, you know, take some money, set some money aside and put every egg I've ever laid into this basket was really, really terrifying, you know, for lack of a better term. Yeah. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? <laughs> Is, you know, Bora Bora an option? Um, I, I don't, that's a great question. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'd be probably, you know, just working every day and playing board games with my kids, just like I do now. Um, it's, it's funny because I think people look at the company and especially being a founder or entrepreneur as this, you know, somewhat glamorous thing. And it, it really never is. It's exciting. I'm honored when people are excited to meet me and my husband, when we're out and about, um, at tournaments. Um, but besides that, you know, it's just, it's, it's a job at the end of the day. It's a very meaningful one. It's um, a humbling one. It's incredible to flex creative muscles at it, but you know, you work every day and, and you live your life. So I would, I would be doing something similar, but maybe not as daring per se. So. Yeah. Seems like a ongoing theme is this isn't anything really different. It's just part of life um, yeah. or at least you've been able to integrate it. And can you tell me about a campaign that failed with Chibile and what you learned from it? A campaign? Yeah, maybe you launched a product that didn't work out, something that didn't work out uh, how you imagined. Yeah, I would say, you know, it's interesting. So we very early on, we went into manufacturing um, on a this line of really great, really incredible materials, fun, you know, fashion forward, progressive designs um, in terms of the shape of them. But I didn't put any branding on them, <laughs> on them because historically speaking, I don't like a ton of, you know, names all over my shirts. And I'm pretty sure, you know, half of my team was like, well, we should probably put our logo on it somewhere. And it's on there, but it's, you know, tone on tone, very, very minimalist, um, which is my personal aesthetic. But I think I missed the mark being such a young brand. Nobody had any idea what Chivile was. Very few people were even yet on the pickleball train. And I really, at that time, probably should have branded them much bigger as we were looking to create this brand. And it was just one of those you know, they came out and I thought they were phenomenal. And I, the fit is amazing. Our little black dress, incredible. Our harem pant, you know, they're so fashion forward and they're so fun. And I, I love them personally, but I think with where we were as a brand at that time, t-shirts that say we're Chivile and here's what Chivile is, you know, um, not so literally, but, but theoretically that's what I needed to make. And so it was just one of those times where I missed the mark. I wanted to I wanted to push the envelope with pickleball growing. I wanted to create fashion forward things. I wanted, I wanted to use really high quality materials and all of that. I checked all those boxes. I just didn't understand developing a brand at that phase well enough to know. And I, and I did, you know, we had t-shirts and stuff happening at the same time, 
but we were just too young to create an all black line of very fashion forward stuff that then we you know expected people to buy for for you know a, a high price point and and then wear them on the pickleball court when everybody else on pickleball court was wearing you know bright neon tank tops that say you know dink with me or you know whatever and and i i think then i was like oh right okay so we need to tell people first what chavile is and then we need to lean into you know more of the pickleball puns which you know, like our Don't Be a Dink series and Dink or Die, those have been very, very successful. And what I think I understand much more now is that women especially, but, you know, people want to feel good. They want to look good for sure. And that that first line checked that box. But what it is we're marketing to and who it is we're marketing to, more than anything, we want somebody to look at what we're wearing and first say, wow, that's that's really cool. And look again and then see that, you know, above the skull, it says Dink or Die. And then we want that person to recognize it as a pickleball shirt so that we can connect to them. We want to show people that we're a part of this cool tribe. And so while that first kind of all black line missed the mark slightly um, and took a little bit more storytelling to move, I think that where we're at now and those things that are, they're pickleball, but you kind of have to look twice and they're a little edgier than things that you'd see out there it does identify as pickleball. So it immediately ties you to someone at the bar or out to lunch or something that also plays pickleball. And they're like, Hey, is that pickleball? I play, you know, and then it strikes up a conversation with someone, which is the whole idea of really why we wear things I think is to, to connect to others, to show people what we're proud to be a part of. And so many people are proud to be a part of this, this massive tribe of, of pickleball. Yeah. I'm really glad I was on mute because when you said the neon shirt with dink with me, I burst out laughing. Um, I was about to say something else, though. So. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a really good point about. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that you had the design that was very minimalist. Feel the same, very same way. Um, look at my house; it might open up any of my uh, clothes drawers. Uh, very minimalist in my style, and who knows? Maybe that can be recycled in the future. Um, because given, I think you're saying it may have missed the mark because it, the brand was maybe too young to create something that was in a way unrecognizable. But mm -hmm. now that the name has been out there, I'm, I'm sure it could be recycled in some way. But um, what is next for Chivile? What can people expect in the coming years or you know, even this year? You know, I think we're we're looking to do a lot of, of partnering um, collaboration type things. Um, you know, it's phenomenal. And I love to hear, you know, that you see it a lot in, in Texas and all of that. But we're still a very small brand. And as Pickleball grows, like I said earlier, you know, we're, we're kind of at this point where we're like, hey, you know, we've been in the space a long time. We have great relationships. But when it comes to, you know, writing big sponsorship sponsorship checks, um, we're just hoping we can keep up and that some of those relationships that we've developed over the years mean something and that we continue to be able to be a part of these big things um, and expand our customer base. Because again, at the end of the day, I feel very strongly that we create amazing product. We're amazing people. We mean well. It's, it's, you know, it's good stuff. And I'm hoping that that can hold its own as the sport grows into these, you know, huge, I think I just saw today on uh, the dink or kitchen apologies, which one I, I'm missing, um, that Carvana, you know, just, just gave Anna Lee Waters a, a Range Rover for her 16th birthday. And I thought, wow, this is, you know, 
the the players are so big now and Chuvile is amazing, but I think partnering up with some groups and um, collaborating and stuff as bigger brands and new brands continue to step into the space, I think we're just looking to kind of keep expanding our our network and our community in a way that you know allows Chuvile to continue thriving. But um, lots of yeah, so fun fun collabs. Um, I've been talking for a while now about artist series. So we're looking to do that and collaborate more with, with some artists and get some fun stuff made. Um, we've got a new design dropping next month. That's really, really fun. Um, and it's got a, a funny little twist on it. I'm not going to be able to tell you here, but, um, it's got some, uh, some graphics that were, were AI generated and just kind of fun and quirky, um, worked with an artist to do that. And it just, just kind of tapping into what other people are doing in a way that that makes for interesting collaboration. So really excited about the future of it. Um, but yeah, I'll have to stay tuned and I'll have to get you some uh, some new performance teased over. Yeah, definitely really, really excited for the artist series. When I think of the artist series, I think of uh, who, who's done it in the past in the Paraline, it's like Ruka, Rourke is kind of a newer brand, but yeah. Vance has done it. Um, those almost always hit like very, very well. Um, it's yeah, those are really awesome. Yeah, I think it's, it's amazing. It's it's a definitely a trend, um, but I think a great one. I think that's you know anytime you can leverage somebody else's audience, obviously that makes sense from a marketing perspective. But beyond that, it just shows it shows the interconnectedness, and it's so cool, and it really honors those people who. Who are the artists which is fun because they create some really fun stuff absolutely is are you a big reader i am but i'm a non-fiction reader <laughs> okay i kind of got that vibe yeah. what's a what's a book that changed your life oh gosh you're gonna you guys are gonna get my nerdy side um cephalopod intelligence <laughs> so i'm a big <laughs> I'm a big reader. I'm a big fan of brain books, anything from, you know, I just, just read consciousness explained, um, anything that talks about, you know, why we do what we do and hemispheres and, you know, all that stuff. But cephalopod intelligence, um, is a fascinating look into thing, you know, things like jellyfish and stuff like that and how they exist in a way that is contrary to what we understand is possible um, in terms of their thinking and things that show that they're thinking and um, didn't change my life in necessarily anything that applies to Chuvile, except for the idea that you never, you know, you can look at a jellyfish, which seems to have no heart and no brain, and it's just clear nothingness. Um, but you can't understand what is everything that's going on inside. And I think that I've always been a big fan of that thought process, regardless um, of how it's applied. I think that you, you can never anticipate or understand what, what somebody else is thinking. And so you actually need to ask or read a book about it um, to understand it. And, and I think we should all be curious to know and curious to learn and accepting of whatever those answers are. So kind of my, my my geeky book moment that's great um <laughs> keep an eye out for the cephalopod line <laughs> i can i can lend it to you <laughs> um where can people find out more about chibi 
Well, for people who don't know the brand aren't familiar, go to chivileapparel.com, um, spelled civil with an E on the end. Again, it does mean civil. It's just the Italian version because it seemed to uh, taste better in my mouth at the time of forming. Um, and then I would just say, you know, follow us on social media. I think that this year is going to be um, a really interesting one and a lot of exciting things coming and uh, hopefully some some big, um, like I said earlier, some big collaborations. So best place to kind of follow that would, would definitely be on Instagram at Chivile Apparel. Awesome. I'll be sure to tag all your social media links in the post. Awesome. But um, yeah, thank you very much for joining us today. And you can find Building Pickleball on Instagram and YouTube. Again, my guest today was Aubrey Steele, founder of Chivile. And this is Brian with 